What will dual training look like in the future? is this crisis affecting the workforce? Are the international students going to return? Hi, I'm Angela Stevenson and welcome back to episode 5 of Grounded, a series of podcasts for rightspeakfly.com about the effects of the pandemic on general aviation in Australia. I think we are really beginning to get a feel for the common issues that the industry is experiencing at this time. And Adrian Fleming, OAM, my guest today, adds to that body of knowledge and gives us some much needed positivity. Today, we'll be looking a little more closely at flight schools. We'll discuss reduced demand for CPL training, the issues of dual training, international students, and how to stay positive in this weird new world. Adrienne and her husband founded TriStar Aviation back in 1993 with one aeroplane. They found a building, opened the doors, and now they offer a full range of training from Abenicio through to CPL, pilot ratings, etc. And the school now has 16 aircraft and 14 full-time instructors. They're also a registered training organisation offering an aviation in schools program with around 65 students from years 10 to 12. And they also do experience flights and charter operations. Adrienne herself is on CASA's Aviation Safety Advisory Panel and she's also the Flight Training Representative. And above and beyond the call of duty, she's also the Executive Director of Air League Victoria. An extremely busy woman, I'm very privileged that Adrienne has agreed to do this interview. So let's find out what this particular Head of Operations thinks about all this. Thanks for being patient, Adrienne. It's hard to discuss all the things that you do in under a minute. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Angela, for inviting me. You've had a busy day with testing, so I'll try not to take up too much of your time. Not a problem. Let's get straight on to what we're here to discuss, and I'll begin with the charter side of your operation. How has the pandemic affected your charters? The charter operation for us isn't the the main core of the business. Look, at the moment, because most of our charter were doctors, so the doctors aren't actually travelling to rural areas, they're doing this, you know, the remote online um, doctor service. So that has completely ceased. Uh, we expect we've had a couple of a couple of other charters come in where people have, you know, just wanted to get places because the airlines aren't travelling. Um, but that's fairly much all that's been, been happening. So all much our regular charter stuff has, has stopped at the moment. We don't know if that will continue because the doctors may work out that you know they can operate remotely um, without face-to-face contact. So I guess we'll um, we'll wait and see on that one. Hmm. It will be interesting to see if those types of charters do come back. Yeah. Look, we don't we don't know. Mm. Um, I guess they don't know either. No. Either yet. You would think in in the medical side of things, some of it could be done like that. But I'm sure that human contact will. Um, sort of prevail um, but whether they go back to spending the money to charter I'm not sure. So how has the pandemic affected your flight school? We would be 50% down on our flying training. Uh, we made a decision fairly early on uh, that obviously I said we do 500 of these introductory lessons so that's quite a few per week and that's the general public coming in so we made a decision early to stop that um, just because we you don't know where everybody is, has been, I suppose, and we decided that that was probably the highest risk of people coming into our, our business. Uh, so we stopped that, and then the only flying training we've continued is that which is under our education banner. So those who are either enrolled on the diploma course and our international 
international students. So we're left with our aviation vet students, which we're flying with. However, some of them have also, their parents have said, no, you know, not to fly, they stay home for whatever, whatever reasons. Uh, we're continuing the classes online. And if a private pilot wants to come in and hire an aeroplane or a private pilot wants to come in and get current, so we haven't allowed um, those services as right. well. So that's why we're, we're down 50%, but we are, thankfully, still operating. And how are you dealing with the social distancing measures in that space? Well, customers, uh, being the students that come in, uh, they're not allowed to hang around the flying school, so they can come in for their lesson and obviously be in the flight school for um, for their, their pre-flight briefing and post-flight briefing. Uh, the vet students, we have classes on Wednesday afternoons. They've all moved to online uh, and so far been quite successful uh, with attendance rates and getting progressing through. So we look like they're talking about extending the Victorian year 11 and 12 year or the school year. We should be okay. We should still finish on time. The aircraft, you know, the normal hygiene things, we've opted not to wear masks. Um, so the instructors do have gloves, cleaning of the aeroplanes, so hand sanitizer is everywhere wiping everything down, our office space, when on the occasional days when we've got all the staff in, we've moved them out um, into different rooms, so they're not all in the one spot. Each of the classrooms, they've all got a number of how many occupants can be in any particular classroom, not that it's likely to exceed, but occasionally when you've got every classroom full, somebody comes around and wants to go into another classroom to talk to somebody, and so there's a, there's a big sign on the door saying, how many people? Hmm. Um, so they're pretty much what we've been what we've been doing. So the aircraft uh, interiors have never been cleaner on that front. Um, so so far, touch wood, you know everybody is still healthy. Obviously, instructors we do have temperature checking as well. If someone isn't feeling well, they've all been advised everybody stay at home. Um, at the moment, our staff are, are quite well, so we hope we can keep it that way. Hmm. And have you shared staff? Can I ask you that one? You can ask, and no, we haven't. We do have some casual staff, and so what we've done is the casual staff, we have sort of said to them we prefer you not um, to be coming in because they're obviously out doing, often they've got other jobs that they're doing and then they would come in, and so they're at a, at a higher risk, so they, are, they aren't. Having said that, there have been a couple that have, have popped in um, on the odd occasion, but most of the time the casual staff aren't aren't in and our full-time staff we've managed to keep thanks to the job keeper uh, we've managed to keep our full-time staff on oh good i'll ask you a little bit more about that later on uh, so what do you think the dual training of the future will look like should we maybe toughen up and go back to training in tiger moths open cockpit stuff <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know that might be look that could be fun uh look i think you know, I think probably it's probably like anything when we get sort of some better testing and things like that, um, you know, it will be perceived as safer um, with the immediate testing like doing anything. Um, I don't think I don't think it'll change. Uh, look, there might be, you know, the cockpit is the cockpit. It's the size it is. You need to be in, in that sort of confined space. So I think we, you know, when we get in a car, it's you know, it might be slightly larger than an aeroplane. Um, but I think um, I think it'll probably be safe. What about masks? Do you think students should wear masks? Uh, we talked about masks, you know, with the fact that we have microphones um, in front of our headsets, um, and it all became quite cumbersome. So we've uh, we've opted not to not to go down that path. Mm -hmm. um, 
I guess on on health advice, it's sort of like a, a healthy person potentially can't you can only get it from a person who's infected. So I guess we're taking that that thought process that you know the person who's hopping in the aeroplane is is healthy. Um, if staff want to use masks, but um, the general consensus is that they don't. Uh, people wearing um, having their own headset um, is is important um, just because of the you know the hygiene. Mm. Um, so that may increase the uh, the headset sales. Yes, good point. So foreign students, how much have you or do you rely on their business and how do you think that's going to work in the future? Do you think that the government uh, needs to make sure this sector of the industry remains intact and what do you think foreign governments will do? Well, no one knows what the Australian government's going to do. So to to predict what a foreign government would do um, would be quite, quite difficult. It depends probably where the, the markets are. I mean, China at the moment, we've seen different tit-for-tat going backwards and forwards. You know, it can be quite volatile. For us, we don't have a, a Chinese market, although there are quite a few flight training schools. I guess they would um, they would look. If China could do it themselves well, they would already be doing it themselves. Look, I feel sort of comfortable that, that from a flying training perspective, that probably Australia's got one of the, the best reputations of flying training in the world. And that's one great thing. You never have to go and sell how well we do flying training when you're, when you're overseas. The cost is, is often a factor. I don't think they will set up you know, straight away to be able to do that if we're talking directly China. Like I said, I don't deal um, directly um, with China. The market that we're looking at and been dealing with for several times, quite comfortable with, is, is India. Their um, ability to train pilots in India is limited, and I don't see that probably changing anytime, anytime soon. You know, I think the relationship between governments, um, between India and Australia at this point in time for us is, is quite good. So I think really it's going to be if the students can come on shore, how do we test them or how do we isolate them and then get them sort of living in the, the Australian society. So it's whether you know, there are flights between the countries and, you know, do they have to isolate? So it's probably going to be isolation at either ends until they can come up with some testing. I think the government has to be careful in the narratives uh, they use because education, particularly in Victoria, international education is, is a huge export and across the country it's, it's enormous and flying training. There are still huge opportunities for flying training as an export into Australia. So I think it's something that, long as we've got a you know a careful proactive narrative i think it probably still looks good in in what ways has the decimation of the regular passenger transport sector affected the general aviation sector do you think there will be a greater demand for say small charter services perhaps that was something we discussed early on thinking that perhaps we'll uh, ramp up our charter advertising because people will want to go places we haven't done that at this point in time and our charter inquiries haven't actually increased at all at this moment, but people can't travel. So it'll be interesting to see if airfares go up. Obviously, it makes charter more viable for groups of people. We don't know when people are going to be able to travel again, so it's a little bit hard to predict into the future. It's a, it's a possibility that you know we may get we may get more charter because the um, obviously the accessibility and also potentially the pricing if we're only we're sitting in a one airline environment. And will there be a reduced demand for CPL pilot training, do you think? It's inter- that's an interesting one to have a look at 
before all this happened, everybody was shouting, we're looking for pilots. It's never been a better time to train to be a pilot because there's a pilot shortage. As time goes on, that big band of retirement that was sort of set to happen is still going to happen. People will probably go back to travelling once again if we get they get the testing and they feel it's safe to travel. If that happens, people will go back to travelling. Look, I think when it comes down to people wanting to do or become a commercial pilot, there's going to be like anything. Gee, what a um, what's the opportunity for you know for me to become a pilot when you know this is what happened. Most of the pilots um, that you meet and you live in aviation circles like I do. That people are passionate about aviation and mm. people are passionate about flying. And so I think those people who are passionate are still going to be passionate. It's probably the surrounding, their surrounding networks. So, you know, you get a, a year 12 student who says, I want to be a pilot. You're going to have the, you know, the sensible parents saying, well, look what just happened to the industry. Do you really want to be a pilot? So there's some of the objections we're going to have to possibly face. It comes down to diversifying too. Um, we're working with Federation Uni at the moment and we're setting up a Bachelor of Applied Management degree course in aviation. And that part of that is to give pilots additional skills because a lot of them, when they get a commercial pilot's licence, will end up in a small business. And so if they've got some entrepreneurial skills, some marketing skills, some financial skills, these are skills that will be able to be used across other industries as well. And I think probably maybe a little bit more in the diversifying might be something that will help um, commercial pilots you know, into the future. With regards to commercial pilots, I've asked the same of other interviewees, but it's always good to get another perspective. With this huge number of commercial pilots that are currently out of work or grounded, do you think they'll be looking for jobs in GA? We've had a few inquiries, in fact, uh, for instructor ratings for airline pilots um, over the last couple of weeks. So I'd have to say yes. You know, there are some that I know recently went into airlines recently, so they weren't fairly distant from general aviation have stepped back into the training world. So I think that will, will be one of the things that some of them will. It's hard to know, you know, if you've been hard fixed in an airline career, where your skills lie and, and if you were willing to, to cross that barrier of, of stepping, you know, what would be considered, and it sounds terrible, but stepping, I would say sideways, but what may feel like a step backwards, only backwards because that's where you may have started. I don't know if that's where they'll go. It'd be nice that we don't lose the experience, and I think there is a place for them in general aviation if, if that's what they want to do. But mm. if they don't want to do it, like anything, there's, the last thing you want is a, a disgruntled jet driver sitting in general aviation biding their time just like any it doesn't really matter whether they're they're coming up through the ranks and they're they're biding their time flying for the RFDS because they want to go to an airline and they're not doing it well it's like anything you know you want happy employees. And how has this crisis affected your workforce both personally and in terms of their job is there a sense of doom or a sense of hope? Mm, Definitely not a sense of doom Uh, probably there's that sense of I guess it's cautious optimism uh, you know, we've used some of this downtime to rework systems uh, to try and make things sort of more efficient so that when we can, you know, when we do get back to the, the days of hopefully the days where we've opened the doors and we're, we've got everybody coming back in, that we've got things in place that we probably wouldn't have had the time to do otherwise. One of the things, looking at morale, pretty much early on, and I was in isolation having returned from overseas, we were video conferencing our staff to to keep in touch. And we were working out, we put out a big list 
on the board of all the things that were, you know, our to-do list and our ideal to-do list of what all the things we'd really like to do and happen. And it's sort of become our, if you like, our wet day timetable or our rainy day to-do list. And we've reallocated our staff so that they would have a day where they might have one flight in the day and then, you know, they've got the rest of the day. So they actually have a day where they're doing this to-do list and then they can focus on flying on the on the other days. So we've rearranged that. But the biggest challenge has probably been for them, not so much me because I've got husband and wife team, we, you know, come to work and go home together. But for them is they go home to their partners and their partners are generally working from home and isolating. And it's probably been dealing with them because, you know, when they have their days off, their days are off like their normal days off, except their partners are still at home working. How do they um, cope with their relationships at home? Whereas, because for them, their life, like I mentioned earlier to you, hasn't really, hasn't really changed too much for them. And what, if anything, can the industry do better together to get us all back in the air? Probably when you say together, the industry doesn't work together very often. You'd like to think it does. But often in the past, we've always, it's, it seems to be there's lots of little segments of the industry. But probably it wouldn't hurt for the industry to, to collaborate a little bit more on what they're doing and share what they're doing. You know, I mentioned the volunteers in Air League. I've got officers, you know, volunteering their information to pass it on to other, you know, to other officers so that they can use it in their squadron nights. The industry is very much, often can be quite insular. And so, you know, I don't want to tell my secrets because... There's another flying school and they might pick up my secrets. And I think in times like this, you talk about an enemy that unites. I think it's possibly a, you know, an opportunity for the industry to you know, connect with each other and, and you know, share, their, share their wins, share their losses and, and actually um, work probably a little bit more cohesively um, together just on that sharing front. Look, the airlines are struggling and we know they're struggling at, at this point in time. But, I mean, we, we know that they will bounce back. But often the airlines, you know, they expand, and I guess that comes from me sitting sitting down here in, in, in general aviation land, but they expand to suit their purpose and they suck up all the experience we've been nurturing for the last, you know, and putting money into for those people to progress into their airline. And often there's not a lot of recognition back down at the, at the lower levels that, you know, you guys have got a pretty good pilot because of what general aviation has contributed. You know, so a little bit of working out, and I don't know what the solution is, but somehow um, to work out how they could work together a little bit more, or putting back into the industry, you know, at that at that sort of grassroots level, perhaps. There's a fair bit of movement, and we keep in contact with a lot of our former students, and they will always acknowledge, you know, mm. you go, congratulations, you know, you've just become a captain on an Airbus, etc. And they come back and go, you know, it wouldn't have been there had it not been for you. And training people is so rewardable, personally. I find training people so rewarding and following their journeys and watching where they go. That is sort of forgotten. And what about any assistance you have received? Is it positive? Is it not enough? We haven't had assistance under the banner of... Um, aviation we've had assistance under the banner of small business and we'd spoken with our staff um, we'd worked out you know once again that the big brainstorm um, that we sort of had but we talked about you know what options we had and look it was looking bleak I mean, you know we had no reason to believe that we won't come through this but how we were, we were best going to manage that and you know which staff would we put off first um terrible conversation to have to have terrible thoughts to have to have but you know we looked at it some staff were very good at sort of saying look you know i'm happy if 
you know, I'm one of the, the first ones to go. I've got, you know, enough savings to be able to sustain me. Um, so they were, you know, really responsible, really heartening. You know, we looked at bank loans, you know, how we could get bank loans to keep people in a job. And as it was, then the government came up with the JobKeeper. And so we've managed to do what we can to, to keep our staff on that. So from that point of view, if we didn't have that, things would be, you know, a lot more bleak than they are for us. So do you think GA should be given special consideration? It's hard to answer because you look at competing priorities. Um, you know, the government sort of said, you know, made the comment about, you know, if they propped up Virgin and we can, we all know all the good reasons as to why we need two airlines, but, you know, then that sets a precedent. I don't, I'm not sure... I mean, we'd, we'd like additional assistance in what format? I mean, we've been given assistance from a point of view of, of CASA have been very quick um, on the on the front to be able to give dispensations on medicals, extensions, on renewals, on practical, um, you know, on permissions and things like that. I mean, they've been very proactive. It's probably on an aviation podcast, it's probably not often you hear people praise the regulator, but in this particular instance, they've been very proactive and I think they're, they're willing to listen. From a, a GA point of view, I, you know, like I said earlier, I've said about the, um, the charter operators that, you know, the tourism part and whether they fit under a tourism banner or a general aviation banner, but they've been really hard hit. They probably should be first. That having been said, there are possibly flying training operators that aren't sitting as comfortably as we are. No system is going to be going to be perfect, but I, you know, I really feel for those who are um, like any, like I said, any small business, you know, that's not working. But on a on an aviation front, those operators that are closed and can't operate because of the tourism, I think they should probably be be given some special consideration. And regarding CASA, your experience is that you've had clear communication and engagement. Yeah, look, we had our, um, you know, our flying operations inspector very early on. In fact, we were still in isolation. Uh, they actually um, gave us a call to see if we had any outstanding, um, you know, anything we, we needed or anything that was, you know, they could do for us. Um, they were more than willing. We had a couple. We've got a couple of applications in to, um, you know, extend some things in the in our operations manual. So they were quite, I guess, um, receptive right from the beginning. If you're willing to share something, what out of the box thing has your company done? It's funny. I don't think we've done anything that's sort of out of the box. Um, I think, you know, I think probably willing to stay to stay positive about things. We've pretty much progressed as usual. Probably for us, it's just more looking at those efficiencies that you can you can improve on. You know, we're using technology more than we've ever used um, technology. We've been um, putting our classes online. We've been looking at our induction process that we do for new hot new staff, new students. We're putting together a script. We're putting some of that, you know, into a more of a, an interactive video presentation as well so the idea is we're creating for us we're creating libraries of things that we may do sort of reasonably repetitive um, because we've got the time to do that whether that's innovative I'm not sure but it is definitely going to improve our efficiencies um, when we come through the other side. And finally Adrienne have you got any questions for the industry for any flight training schools maybe? Look I think um, most of the time it's probably some of the misinformation there was there, were, there was a lot of information about, you know, can flying training happen, can't flying training happen? Can a private pilot go out flying, can't a private pilot? And that's still varying, you know, it, it's it's interesting the, 
the interpretation everybody has sort of on the rules. And I think probably at the moment, you know, we seem fine with that, but there are still people who, who still have questions. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe the rules aren't necessarily quite quite as clear. So we can operate. However, can a person leave their house to come to us? Um, and so for us, we've made the, you know, the, the exemption they can come to us, um, obviously under the banner of the education banner um, as part of their, you know, their diploma course um, you know, that they're doing with us. But if they're a, a private pilot that's you know, not on a course who wants to hire an aeroplane, sure, we can hire them an aeroplane, except can they leave their house to come and do it? And we've interpreted that as, as no. So it's probably just the, the interpretation rules. It's not necessarily a question. I think we've got it. Well, we've, we've interpreted and we're happy, but, um, you know, others still, you know, we still get calls and people asking. <laughs> I know I said finally, but I'll slide in one more, seeing as you mentioned rules. What about regions? Is Victoria subject to any of the same sorts of regions as other states are? No, we, we don't. And between New South Wales and Victoria, there's no border issue. There are sort of some strict fines if you're in the, in the wrong spot, doing the wrong thing. But we haven't sort of encountered uh, any of that when we've been flying different places because still, we're still doing training to, you know, to different aerodromes and things and we haven't found anything at those aerodromes. Well, we'll wrap it up there. You've been amazing. Thanks, Adrienne, for being with me today. That's all right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that was Adrienne Fleming, HOO of TriStar Aviation in Moorabbin, Victoria. So what do you think dual flight training will look like in the future? And are international students going to come back? In what ways is your business trying to stay positive? And my bonus question for you today is, what part of the general aviation industry has been affected the most? Is it air tourism charter or something else we haven't thought of? Perhaps you could let me know. Head on over to the comments section for episode five at rightspeakfly.com forward slash grounded if you've got anything to add. And while you're there, don't forget there's a special edition available where I interview Ben Morgan, CEO of AOPA Australia. He talks some relatively touchy subjects, including the structure of the industry and dealing with CASA. There could be some great insights there for flight schools. As usual, don't be av bored. Why not ring your local flying school and see what courses they offer online? How about night VFR knowledge to get you ready for a night rating? An instrument rating knowledge course? There are heaps of courses that can give you a head start on getting your actual rating. Give them a call. Next week, I don't know who I'm interviewing at this stage. I'm in the process of lining up someone who is from the maintenance sector, so that should be interesting. And I'm still hoping there's a special edition with CASA, or maybe I should try for Michael McCormack. What do you think? If you've got any suggestions, drop me a line to Angela at rightspeakfly.com. Looking forward to being with you again next week. I know I say it all the time, but hey, never forget how lucky we are to be in this industry. Spread your wings and spread the love of aviation. And remember, you can always go round.